0: Let's pray as we come to the Word of God and as we reflect on those beautiful words. Father God, we thank you we can come into this place this morning and together we can join our hearts and worship to you and praise to you. We recognize you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is above all. And so we come humbly and yet boldly, with confidence we come because you've called us and asked us, To come and present our praise and our worship to you, our offerings, and we do that. Open our hearts now, Lord, we pray, as we speak from your word. Your word is the very word of God to us. May it be so this morning, for this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we've uh, called the message, Who Will Serve the Lord? Last week we looked at Jesus as the one above all. He is the one who is our focus. But now as a church, uh, that's going through a transitional period. We ask ourselves, what role do we play and where do we fit in? Is there a role for us? Who will the new pastor be? What will he look like? Will I like him? Will he like me? All these questions come around and mostly they are irrelevant. We want to know what God wants. And so I want to talk to you about what God has given to us as our role firstly uh, more importantly maybe this week in terms of those who are full-time workers but then for all of us Uh, and our serving uh, scripture verse comes from uh, Matthew chapter 28 you know this verse and the problem with verses you know is that you read them and we don't look at what might they might be saying to us today Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Just the line before that says that he took the disciples out and started to talk to them, and it says some of them doubted. So I want to look today at ways in which we might serve the Lord uh, as we own him, and particularly how we can serve him in this community of, of believers at the church. New Testament describes us here this morning as a body of believers. We're joined together by his spirit, and we come, and we've been given gifts and attributes that we should put together so that we can enable, it will enable us to reflect the life of Christ outside around the people here. Ephesians 4.11. Paul wrote this and said, God has given some to be apostles and prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And their role, he says, is to prepare God's people For works of service so that the body of christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god he goes on to say that the objective of these pastors and teachers is to build us up and to uh, make us uh, in unity of faith and knowledge of god and we're to love each other as we pay out our parts that's god's objective satan's objective is to disrupt that he wants to divert us from these things so that we spend our time occupied and arguing and discussing things that are not part of God's will for the church. I've lost my mic. I might just use this one, I think, today. I'm finding a bit of a... Do nice. you think it'll work? My helper here. You to come up for a couple of minutes. Have you? Okay. <coughs> As Satan's objective is to divert us. Nothing more than Satan likes than us occupied with discussing stuff that tends towards division. Satan's goal is not always to have us all go out and live immoral lives and be far away from God. He would like us to be disconnected with our head. He would like us to be occupied with stuff that isn't pleasing to God, that isn't relevant in terms of the eternal destiny of the people around about us. So although he says that we are to do things decently and in order, he wants our focus to be on building one another up in the faith and joining together in unity and uh, growth in the word. So as as an example of this, I want to go back again today to the Old Testament and look how Israel started with that, a picture of God that will illustrate in some ways how we might structure our ministries uh, today. We don't follow the Old Testament model, by the way, through because they lived under a day of, uh, or we live under a day of grace, and they didn't. They had to do their worship in a specific way at a specific time, and only some people could speak to God on their behalf, and we're different now. We come and we follow uh, the way that God has set it up for us. So back in Genesis, we looked at Abraham last time, and Abraham had a son called Esau. I uh, no, Isaac, and Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob, twins. And you remember, if you know the story, Jacob was the not really the inheritor, but he pushed his way around and he got the inheritance. And then God came to him and had an encounter with him. And in that encounter, he said to God, I won't let you go till you bless me. And God said, I bless you by changing your name from Jacob to Israel. And Jacob had a lot of sons. Israel had a lot of sons. And in the Bible, you hear a lot about the children of Israel. It really is the children of Jacob, their descendants. And they became many, and eventually they became the nation of Israel. Now, they, those uh, nations were in, put together, that nation was put together in tribes. And as they moved out from captivity into the desert, God came to Moses and he said, I want you to build me a place of worship, a movable tent, really and uh, I want you to set that up and have the different tribes pitch their tents around it. And then I want you to take the tribe of Levi, Levi's people, and they have special roles for me, and particularly within the Levites, the sons of Aaron. The sons of that family, they are to be priests. They are to be the ones who guide the worship services that we would have uh, every day. Now, this is where we part company with that because we no longer have to go through the sons of Aaron or any other priest to get to God. We get to God ourselves. So we, uh, he was very particular about the way we did it, as I said, but now you and I are all priests with direct access to God. Now, for some of you in the backgrounds you've come from, that might be a little different from what you were taught. You were taught maybe that uh, we had to go to the priest. The priest was the one who taught us And we listened to him and we obeyed him. And he was our father in the sense that he was leading us to God. Not so now. The New Testament says very clearly, very clearly, that the uh, way that we come to God now, thanks to the work of the cross, we can come. You and I don't need anyone to take us to God. We can go to God directly. That's a privilege. And I wonder if it's a privilege we take advantage of. I mean, if you were to go and knock on the... The, uh, the door of the governor of Hong Kong today and say, I've come to talk, would they let you in? I think not. Uh, but you can go to the door of heaven and you don't even have to knock. The door is open and you can go and you can speak to God, the privilege. But uh, having said that, the reality of the church life today is that we do need some who are set apart to work full time and permanently in the church and to give this make this their vocation particularly, I think, the pastors and teachers, and then those who work and who need gifting in the area of, say, compassion and care for people, those who are missionary people who go away from here and take the gospel to other people who have not yet heard it. And the model that God calls specific people comes out nicely uh, in the book of uh, Acts 13, where they were reading there, uh, we read there, the five elders in the church were praying... And as they prayed, the Holy Spirit broke in and there were five elders. And one of them, I'm just getting used to this thing now. You've got to be there. There you go. While they were fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit broke in and said, separate Barnabas and Paul to be missionaries to Cyprus and beyond. From the five people there, just one of those was a Levite. Barnabas was the Levite. The rest were not. In fact, it's interesting to me, maybe not be to you, but I'll tell you anyway, that in the New Testament, Levites are only mentioned twice. This one here when Barnabas was called a Levite. And the other one was that story of the Good Samaritan. You remember the man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, was beaten up by some thieves and left on the ground um, with not much life left? And a Levite priest came along. And it says he saw him there, but he crossed the road to avoid him and went the other way. And then a Samaritan, the Samaritan were hated people by the Jews. The Samaritan came along and did what the priest should have done. He ministered to that man. So there's no other mention there, and it would seem very clear from other scriptures that God is no longer looking to Levites. You don't have to be a a descendant of Levi to come and worship God. All of us, as I say, are able to do what God wants done. So it tells me that God is not interested in status or title or even ability. He is looking for availability. And so this morning, he's looking for availability from all of us. I want to take Paul's words to Timothy and apply them to you, because sometimes we read these words and we don't think they do. I want to say to you, whoever you are this morning, don't let anyone look down on you. Don't let them look down on you because you're young in the faith or you've had failure in the past or that you don't think you're suitable for a a working or ministry in the church. Don't let anyone look down on you, but set your heart on serving God using the gifts and abilities he's given you because he can make you fruitful. And he can give you the desires of your heart. You have a place in this church body. There's a a work that you can do for Jesus. And you can be useful. Don't let anyone tell you that you are not. It. it came out in one of the words, I am who you say I am. And God says you are my child and you are gifted and you are able. And so look for opportunities that you can do it. But I want to add a caution here for leaders in the church who are charged with appointing people to ministries. I got this advice a few years ago and I wish I'd had it earlier because there's often trouble in churches uh, and we don't work together in harmony. And one of the reasons I think of this is because of this. Uh, Elders in the church, leaders in ministries do not give a ministry to someone who cannot live without it. Ministry must be done in the strength and authority that God provides. And sometimes you've got a a role to fill and there's nobody putting their hand up. And so somebody does and you say thank you and give that ministry. Find out later that they were not so humble and gracious in their wanting it. They wanted to have a title and they wanted to have authority over people. Ministry in the church is not about that. We serve our God. We bow before the Lord and we serve him. And we see it as a privilege, not an entitlement to come and to be leading people in the way that we want to lead them. The family of Aaron was separated for ministry, and Barnabas and Paul were separated for a full-time ministry. And Paul wrote about this uh, a couple of times. And he said, I came out from among them and be separate, and I want you to do the same. So among us here today might be some that God is going to call out from our regular work and put us into some vocational role. He said, I was separated, this is Paul, separated to the gospel of God from my other uh, opportunities. And then he said, God set me apart from birth and called me by his grace. I wonder about that. God separated me from birth. I have the feeling that one or two of you might be uh, here and from a very early age you've felt the call of God on your life. Uh, It happened to me and uh, I don't know why it was but from a very early age and I can't really remember when it started I had a desire to learn more about China. Now when I told my mother she said well I know why that is because once a week we go uptown and you hold my hand and we go to the fruit and veggie store and there's a Chinaman there, and his name is Joe Chong, English name. And Joe Chong serves my mother her fruit and her vegetables for the day. And sitting over in the corner is Joe Chong's grandson. And uh, mostly, he missed once or two times, and I let him know that, but he mostly at the end, Joe Chong would mention to the grandson, he would nod, and the boy would get a little baby banana and bring it over to me, and I would have a baby banana. In America they call them bobby bananas for some reason but they're small bananas. And I had a banana every week. There it is. This boy comes over, gives me banana. And we go on. So she said, that's where you got to learn to love China because you had a banana. But I'm not so sure. Around 12, 13, 14 years of age, um, a man came to town and he was a missionary to China. And he struck a chord in me that has stayed with me ever since. He, he left a book. He told his story but he left a book about how he was imprisoned in China and the book is called When Iron Gates Yield. You may have read it. I know it's around in old bookstores now of how the prayers of God's people bent the bar, iron bars of that uh, prison and allowed him out not only to leave the country but to still stay there and ministry. Geoffrey Bull, I think his name was. It was his name, Jeffrey Bull. When irons, and that and got to me as a 12-year-old. I want to go to China. It's, remember, when I was 12, China was closed to everyone. Then I read a story a man from Far East Broadcasting came and said to us about the Bai family and how they were secretly writing down uh, in their little notebooks the scriptures as they were read every night over the waves of uh, FEBC. And they would write down a page and write down. And each of the family, there was a grandmother, grandfather, father, mother, and boy. And uh, five people in the house. And they didn't know that each was doing it. And they were hiding it because the government was uh, encouraging people, if you see people disobeying, tell them, even if they're your family. And so all of these five would write down and hide. And then one day the mother discovered in her boy's room these scriptures. And so uh, as he was talking, she raised that with him. And he confessed that he was uh, following Jesus and writing down the scripture. And so she pulled out hers and said, and so am I, and so is your father. And then they keep it from grandma and grandpa because they not to know. But eventually they did, and they found the unity in Christ, even though, they were, well, that touches a boy's heart. When he's 16, 17 and wanting to conquer the world, I thought I want to be a part of that. Well, God has led us on to America, and we've, we've really not had any direct input in, uh, in China, But uh, from birth, he's had that on me. Now, we've been into China lately. Next week, I hope, uh, to one of the young leaders that we had the privilege of uh, training, and now she, she is about a 30-year-old lady, is a dynamic evangelist amongst her people. And she's coming out to see us and say hello, and uh, you might meet her. But there's thousands of people like that. So while we haven't been missionaries to China or done anything anything of note we've had a little part and uh, so that's exciting now the, go round to the end so we stay 20 years in, in America and we go back to New Zealand to the church that we used to be in and uh, it's changed of course hardly anyone is there but uh, it's more multicultural which I rather like and then one day one of the elders gets up to introduce communion and he tells a story Chinese man ethnic and he's telling the story and I'm thinking whoa something's familiar here And uh, he talked about working in his grandfather's fruit and vegetable store. And he would take the money over to the bank across the street. And I knew that. So I said to him later, I said, excuse me, Tony. um, I think you're talking about Joe Chong and Martin. And he said, that's right. He's my grandfather. And I said, you were the boy that gave me bananas. Every day you'd give me a small banana. And he said, that was my job. And I said, why not you give me a big banana? and he said ma no, grandpa joe does not like give big big banana away but i thought that's a nice little circle and tony and i are good friends now my point is this if god has touched your heart and you have a desire for something or some sort of people don't let it go go for it you know the world will say follow your dream i say follow the dream if it's the dream of the lord and he He gives us the desires of our hearts for it. Don't let anyone look down on you, said Paul to Timothy, because you're young. But you be faithful in your growth and go to be the person that God wants you to be and he can use you. And you listen to the stories of the great men and women in our eyes who've gone and done great things for God, have broken frontiers, have seen iron bars yield. They started out like you and me. Just simple kids going to school, playing, kicking a ball, playing on a scooter down on the promenade. We didn't have scooters. Watch that if you ever go there. We go there every night to walk. And uh, it's a mass of scooters and little children who go fast. But follow your dream and let God take you. Well, quickly we go on. The priests of Aaron then, when they were to become priests in the in the tabernacle and then the temple, they had a process uh, before they went into ministry. For them, at age 25, they would start an internship of five years and then at 30 years, they were appointed as priests and they would have a turn at ministering and and offering worship on behalf of the people there. 20 years and then at 50, they would retire and then they would become, shall we say, the overseers, the keepers of the, the standards for the rest of the priests. So that indicates to me God does not call novices. But he calls people who've progressed through a, uh, some training and through some uh, discipleship and have given them lives, uh, opportunity to progress. They've proved themselves fit for the trust that goes with preaching the word of God and being God's service. Especially when it involves, say, the uh, intimate parts or intimate uh, dealings of people in the church. Um, In the book of Numbers chapter 8, there's a description of the four things that they had to have that would be tested before they were allowed to be a priest. And the first one was, they had to give testimony to their walk with God. I don't mean they had to stand up here and say, I was here, I listened to this, and I became a Christian or a follower. It was the testimony of their walk with God. You know the Sunday school song that they used to sing? they're not listening, no, they're looking at your walk, not listening to your talk. And that's how it is. We can talk a good talk, but our what is our walk? And so these priests first had to give testimony to their walk with God. And today I think that's true because, and there's great opportunity, let me say, to show Christ's love and grace in your walk. You know, this is a town like most towns in a city, in most cities in the world, where whoever gets to the door first goes through the door, and they might get to the door second, but somehow they get through first, because good manners, as we would describe them, are not evident. But if you stop and open the door, if you stop and smile, say hello to a child, wave, give a thumbs up, sometimes whatever it is, show from. Mind you, that's not describing Christ. I know that, but. You're you're loving people rather than trying to push people aside. Testimony of your walk with God. You know, as I say, it's easy to act here in church. You you look pretty good this morning, most of you, and still awake. But um, that's not it. It's not your actions in church. It's your reactions in the world that people notice. And that's so important if we want to uh, be able to open the door to give testimony of God's love our walk must be uh, good. The second thing they had to do was to identify sin and how they applied the word of God to their daily life. So this is an investigation. You know. They're brought before some of the other priests and they're told to say, do you identify sin in your life? And so they would go through that. So this is getting quite close to the heart. You know, I'm not going to ask you, would you raise your hand and and agree to this as a sin in your life? Uh, Because some of these things are personal, but they need to be addressed if God is to call you into, shall we say, a ministry of more of a full-time nature. He wants to know, and the people want to know, that you can be trusted. Because uh, we would like to say we have no sin in our life, but you know that we are sinners still and we fail in certain areas. And so they would be asked to show how they applied the Word of God to daily life. And more and more, as I get older, I learned that in my earlier days, I was reading the Word of God and I was reciting the Word of God, but I was not living the Word of God. Uh, I thought I was, but even more now, I realize that the Word of God is a Word of God to me to put in to practice. And so the next one would be how they acknowledge the temptations of the world and the cleansing of their thought life. Man, you, you would think that whoever wrote that all those years ago was writing it for today, the thought life, the opportunities we have with uh, modern media uh, to engage in looking at or reading or comf- uh, comprehending some of the things of the world that are distasteful and that are against God's standards, immoral, many of them. And so they are readily available, and you you know that you only need to hit your computer twice more than you usually do, and there's all sorts of images for you to look at and eventually to pay for. And we never had those things. It's private, you know. In back in the book, one of the early books, there the uh, the young prophet says, I said names just elude me. It doesn't matter. Um, the prophet said, I was in the spirit of the Lord, and he took me to the temple where the priests were operating. And he says, Look, son of man, there's a hole in the tent, a peephole for you to have a look. See what's going on in there. And I looked and I saw the priests had covered the walls of their working space with immoral, uh, idolatrous artwork of the nation. And God was unhappy. And I just think of a computer screen. What, what can come up there, but can, we can fill our minds with the idolatrous, immoral uh, artwork of the nation. So we have to be careful, and we have to be uh, honest and accountable. I worked you know, for, for 11 years as the overseer of 100 and some churches and about 350 pastors. And the rate of pornography problems is more than I would like to tell you. Because nobody gets up in the morning and says, I think I'll go and chase things that are uh, 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 um, against God's will. It starts with a step and another step. It starts with moving to one screen and keeping going one more. The devil will always want to take you more further than you want to go. The devil will always want you to stay longer than you want to stay. And ultimately, he will always want you to pay more than you want to pay. And so be careful when you come to these things. When you're faced with these things, put a guard. And for men, I've said, found the best, op- the best way to do that is to have a close friend who will guard your heart with you and who will hold you accountable. Anyway, I'm lingering on that a little bit much. The last one is the washing of their clothes, which is a symbol of embracing their consecration to the Lord's habits, thoughts and daily walks set apart for his... Service, Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites are getting ready to cross the Jordan. And uh, Joshua comes to the leaders and says, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Sanctify yourselves. In those days, sanctification was a time when they set apart themselves from the daily uh, activities to spend time in prayer and in meditation. And the one way they would show that... so. You know, in, in today's world, it would be that you decide to set yourself away, apart for fasting and praying. And they would put on a set of clothes, usually white, I think, from most of the people who write the stuff. Uh, but doesn't matter. It was noticeable. So that instead of coming to you and saying, hey, come and see a movie with me, they would see that I'm in a period of sanctification and I want to be left alone to be with God. And so these um, priests... Uh, had to embrace the consecration process, sanctification process, in a deliberate way, uh, as I say, by washing their clothes and by setting a watch on their habits, thoughts, and daily life. And that's not a bad thing for us to do and to demand of our people. I notice that, um, you know, you have a staff here, full-time staff. And I hope that the the elders are, are... counselling them to take time. They don't spend the whole day at their desk doing administrative work, but they take time to pray individually and together and to read the scriptures and to study and to hold on to each other accountable. I can say from my interaction with them over the recent years, that's true, and we should embrace that and even encourage it more. So the example is of close scrutiny of those who are called into vocational Uh, ministry and who want to be leaders. There's a danger. I notice it more and more in the churches today uh, that we have programs and we develop more interest in making disciples than in being disciples. And uh, we are more inclined to preach the gospel than to embody it in daily life. Now I want to be careful here because I know that there are very good programs available for discipleship and you use them here and there are very good programs used for evangelism. I know you use Alpha and I mean that is a wonderful course and many people have come to know Christ through the Alpha program and have been built up by one of the multitude of discipleship programs. But it's not a program. uh, That is uh, uh, what God wants. He wants you. And he wants us to grow as disciples ourselves. And so the thing I have noticed in churches is that there's a strong discipleship team who are using material and teaching other people how to do it. But I want to say, well, let's come back and are you living it? And are you embodying the gospel as we've mentioned earlier rather than just, say, throwing out things? I'm not saying abandon the Alpha course by no means. But myself, does that become my substitute for living the gospel out before others. The detail attached to the training and daily life of those members of Aaron's family, you would think would have ensured adherence to what God's plan was and a holiness, attitude of holiness, but it was not so. On the very first day that the tabernacle opened for worship and the priests got there ready, two of Aaron's sons who appeared to be drunk thought they would spice up. They were, they were burning in, you know, uh, animal parts. They thought they would spice their offering up. And it says, in my language, or today's language, they added incense and some fire accelerant. And when you think about that, there must have been quite a spectacular display compared to the people down the next booth that were in theirs. And they thought that was pleasing God, but God was not pleased and God struck them dead. And then he came to Moses, did God, and he says, Among those people who are called to approach me, I demand holiness. I demand respect from those uh, who will be meant to honour me. So that tells me that uh, why there's a lot of freedom in the way that we worship and do our things. We don't add our fire accelerants to the program just to impress the people. We stay true to who this God is. He is a holy God. I pastored a church in the Philippines, the English language church there in Quezon City. A beautiful church. Of course it is. It's Filipino. And they're there and they sing. And uh, the choir would come in every morning. Uh, There's a lot of chatter. They chatter like you do. And then the choir would come in and they would sing. A call to worship. And very often it would be, uh, because I asked him to keep singing this one. It's out of the Old Testament. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. Keep silent before him. And that set a mood for worship. And it sets a mood for my heart when I go, usually in the late afternoon, uh, when I'm home and just sit in the chair and I want to meet with, I, I, I say that to myself, the Lord is in this holy place with me. So let me keep silent and let me listen to him. And I commend that attitude to you, not just as a church. Of course, we can be joyful and we can dance and sing and and do those things. But we approach God as a holy God, a wonderful God. And so we need to be careful. Book of the Judges records a series of failures by these priests and it's a sad uh, litany of failure where they've done it their own way instead of God's way and the line that ends up that passage in judges says every man did what was right in his own eyes or in some of the later versions it said everyone did as they saw fit or there's a danger that we need to watch there the privilege of being a minister in God's service it requires obedience but again, from my own experience, the challenge is to remain in that status of understanding that this is a privilege. Because my ego comes up and say, I can do better. I can do it in a way that will be more attractive, that people will, more people will come, more people will say they like that. We need personal disciplines to be strong. Otherwise will lead to disobedience or walking away, disregard for God's standards, and therefore we might have this put against us. He did as he saw fit, he did what was right in his own eyes, and we remember that God is not mocked; his standards will not be adjusted to suit our preferences and desires. So the Old Testament continues. And the prophets come and the prophets go, and we get to the end. And God is getting the stage ready for when His Son will come, and uh, then the day of grace, which we enjoy, will be ours. But they get to the end of this period, and uh, uh, God is going to make a judgment on how He f- feels the work of the priests has been. And so maybe they knew this was coming, maybe not. But I imagine that—that's what I can imagine. So a, a, a meeting, and they come together. And God is going to open up the book and give us a score, like a report card, maybe. And they open it up and they think, will it be an A plus? It'll surely be a B at the, at the worst for some of you. You, you. you did try hard. Well, God opens it up and he starts out. And here's what he starts with. Where is the respect due to me, says the Lord? You, O priest, are showing contempt for my name. You place defiled food on my altar. You bring blind animals for sacrifice when you should be bringing the best. Whoa. Let's hope he doesn't do one on AIC tomorrow. What would he say? Are we giving him the best? Are we bringing our best and respecting his name rather than showing contempt? These were priests, remember, who'd been through this training and they should have known better. Well, it hasn't stopped The lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. From his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you've turned from the way, and by teaching, your teaching have caused many to stumble. You've violated my covenant with you. I'm glad I wasn't there in that room, because that is a hard word from God. These are solemn reminders, I think, for our day, when the failure and falling away from the truth is evident in many churches. It's a sad testimony of the, particularly the Western church where I'm familiar, but I would think in other areas too, where pastors and men and women called of God, equipped by God, sent by God, who are in a sense revered by the people, or acknowledged or honoured by them, are falling away in droves. And sin is creating chaos. The testimony of the Lord is tarnished and mocked by the outside world. We need to be careful. We own the Son of God as our Savior and Lord, and we are priests to God. We carry His name. We speak His word. And we take note of the failure of other leaders that might be around us, even through the ages. And we commit again to honor Him and walk in His ways. This is our task. Forget about the pastor that's coming, he will be scrutinized. But as we look at the ministries that we're engaged in, it's more than just something we do. We are acting as priests, leading the people to God and worship and training in your home group, in your small group, in your children's program, your youth program, all of these things. The fact is that all we have to offer and give back to God is what God has already given us. We don't really add a lot of value to the thing. God alone is capable of guiding us through these hard times. Or if we try ourselves, we'll make a mess of it. And in the end, we'll get stressed and we will panic. And the greatest example of that would be the disciples themselves who walked with Jesus, saw him do the miracles, saw him... Uh, love the people, the wisdom that came from his mouth, there they were, and then he's taken away and they see him crucified on a cross and the next thing they know it will be us and they run and they hide themselves in um, in, in the upper room and they wonder when their turn will come. We're frightened and afraid. Well, they were. Hang on. Jesus appeared to his disciples. He broke through into that room. Can you imagine it? They're up here frightened and the doors locked. (coughs) There's Jesus. Peace be with you, he said. Then he opened their minds. If you're anxious this morning, it might be a personal matter, but it might be even worried about the things going on in the church, if there are things going on in the church. No, let Jesus come to us and say, peace. Peace. And he'll open our minds so we can understand the scriptures. Because for them, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached then in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And I want to make mention there of what we should be doing. Despite what happens, God is calling us to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name not in our name or the way we think it should be done, but you and I have this tremendous privilege as we go out there that we will say there's repentance. If you, will, if you repent, God will come and he will open your heart and your mind. And for you who sit here this morning and maybe things are not going right in your relationship with God, he's forgiving. God is the God who forgives and forgets. He deals with your past so that you can move Ahead, And God has put maybe on your heart something of the future. Do not let it go. Do not let it go. Because he then led them out to the vicinity of the the village there. He lifted his hands and blessed them. And while he was doing that, he left them and was taken him into heaven. What happened now? Their fear had gone. They worshipped him. They returned into the city with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This is God's plan for us, to stay and to worship him despite the circumstances and to stay true. You have a role. The new man coming, if he comes, or when he comes, uh, is not the Savior. We have the Savior with us today, and we have a life to live, and you have a part to play. And I encourage you to look at what that might be and to open your heart and to know that uh, going through processes is good and necessary for discipline, but only if we obey them. Decisions are easy, but implementing decisions are much harder, I've found. I'm going to exercise more, I decide, and I tell my wife, I'm going to exercise more. Well done. And the next morning, when do you start? Well, we haven't started yet. (laughs) I'm telling you, will you follow Jesus as he wants you to? Start today and go your way and enjoy him today and all that's happened. God bless you. Thank you for having us here. We're enjoying it. I believe we might have a song to sing.